Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. I'm going to be one of your co-hosts today. My name's Lawrence, and I'm joined by three other gentlemen, one named Jack and two named Daniel. Now, usually we use the initials of these two gentlemen to differentiate their identity. But recently I was actually chatting with my mum about the podcast, and she actually chose to refer to you guys as Big Dan and Little Dan. So I guess, D.Y., we'll throw to you first, mate. How does it feel to have your entire life's work reduced to being called Little Dan? I actually thought I was Big Dan for a second there. So <laughs> I'm a little bit confused. Like, are we going off mu- muscle mass or what? <laughs> nah, but a uh, little bit disheartened. But, you know, if we go from the scale weight, I guess DC here takes it. Fair. <laughs> yeah, I don't see any <laughs> argument on his side. <laughs> I think DC was thinking he was small Dan as well. So if we want to reverse the roles, we can easily do that. Yeah, it's like when they call someone who with red hair bluey. It's like Dan, obviously small Dan's the the big Dan here for sure. Exactly. And you just got to embrace it. That's what it's about. But as always, guys, thank you for tuning in to another podcast. Been really encouraged by a lot of the feedback, tons of people sharing the show and tuning in. So a big thank you from the four of us. But We will go through our normal processes, just checking in on all the guys and seeing what the last week or so has been like. So we'll start with you, Mr. Radford Smith. How's the week been? Yeah, it's been a good week. So I'm now about just under two weeks into my mini cut. And uh, as usual, I've made sure to listen to AJ's check and feedback before hopping on with you guys. So I've got some fresh news that I've just listened to. So I've lost about three kilos, just over three kilos, in fact, in just under two weeks. So quite an aggressive rate of loss uh, for the mini card as expected. And for the last two or three days, like my body weight has, it just hasn't really had those big kind of fairly aggressive drops that AJ is looking for in terms of the, the weight reduction. So he's actually decided to be even more assertive and uh, we're going to drop 50 carb from, from both days again. So Frick me, mate. Brutal. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. And I may, I mean, in the check-in that I gave him, I was like, I'm on a high, like I'm, I'm kind of breezing through this process. So, and that's true. Like it, it is really a piece of cake at the moment as it should be for someone in my position. Training's going well. Like I'm, I'm honestly quite surprised even today on my lower day where appetite is pretty negligible. I think just by staying busy, I do a good job of negating that. So down to 200 carb on rest days, 300 carb on training days and should be pretty easy to, to pull that out. But the plus side is I'll just get this done, but I think I'll be done probably around when you are Lawrence. Yeah. So what in another week and a half or so? Yeah. I reckon a week and a half, two weeks, I think I'll get down to like 86 and that's kind of where we're looking at ending this. I reckon. Okay, You're cool. looking more chiseled through the jaw there, man. Mm. Good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Shaving off about a kilo of hair will help that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I've still got to, AJ's been on top of me about shaving the, the lower body, which I still need to get round to. Sorry, mate, you'll get another kilo drop after that. <laughs> yeah. So Only when you receive it, like a hairy check-in, a check-in photo, I'm like, man, I, I can't see anything. Hey, <laughs> you're going to have to shave that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in my defense, it's uh, thin enough to see the leg definition, which is important for a bodybuilder. I think it's even more impressive when you can see the leg def- definition through the hairs. Very true. Um, so the last thing, Jack, is uh, what is this absolute malarkey <laughs> that is rumored on the street that you are not going to be competing with me next year? Yeah, so I, I think you may have listened to our TBD episode where 
I jumped the gun a little bit on this episode. So I, I yeah, I'm just being honest with the listeners and to you guys and also like really kind of breaking down as to why I want to compete next and when I truly want to compete next. Because if you ask me, am I passionate enough about bodybuilding to compete in 2023? The answer is obviously yes. Like, especially competing alongside you, Lawrence, like that's at this point in time, that's the main reason why I want to do 2023 is for this podcast for you um, and to have that camaraderie. But like, if I, if I look at it from, (laughs) (laughs) if I look at my own personal journey for bodybuilding, like I, the next time I step on stage, like to kind of summarize what I said on TBD, I want it to not necessarily be for me to, to win a pro show or, or turn pro because I want to be pro worthy. Yes. But I saw this, I think Carl Weber, the physique coach um, put it really nicely how it's, it's you, it's not necessarily you versus you because anyone who's competitive is, is lying when they say that it's not just you versus you, it's you versus you versus everyone else. So I'm competing against everyone else. Yes, but I'm also competing against myself. And I kind of have next time I step on stage, I want it to be this kind of physique that I've envisioned for myself, which is me being quite close to my genetic limit. Um, And I see that hopefully being in, in 2024 season B, like a very extended off season, a lot of time being at my peak uh, at a very good strength level, kind of nailing all those variables. Um, but the other thing as well is that I'm having an awesome time in the off season and I haven't quite reached that point where I'm starting to enjoy the off season less and I'm veering more towards prep. Like I'm, I'm just having a great time being full of energy, being strong, etc. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a very pragmatic answer, mate. And all jokes aside, I think all of us just want the best for you and we just want you to showcase your best physique. And if you feel like that's going to be a little bit later down the track, I think that's a great option. And ultimately, we will have that season one day when we get to stand up there together. I have no doubts about that. So we're all behind you regardless of what you want to do, mate. Yeah, appreciate but that. DC, you posted up a nice little rear shot on the story. So things are looking pretty good from the back there, mate. Are there particular movements or exercises that you're focusing on the moment to bring those shots up yeah so because i've taken some time off doing uh your traditional barbell rdls i've been prioritizing a lot of single single leg work so single leg dumbbell rdls and i can just feel an insane contraction in my hamstrings when i do these particularly if i have the the contralateral hand supporting myself on a bench or on on a dumbbell rack or something like that so that's been kind of the primary focus for the last training block just while i've been somewhat rehabbing my lower back but it's feeling pretty damn good so this was supposed to be a this is supposed to be a test week right now and i do have rdls planned for friday so we'll see how we go there because i haven't performed it for the last you know four four or so weeks probably take it a little bit more conservatively and won't necessarily be we're doing a test week but you know we'll see we'll see how we feel and um talking about the topic of you know prolonging your stage showings jack i can definitely resonate with that because i think if you're in a position where you're really making the most of your off season you feel like you're kind of jumping ship if you just go straight into a contest prep and you don't have that sort of fire lit just yet um and i'm probably in a similar circumstance like i finished my season last year and I said hey I'm going to get on stage in 2024 and the more I think about it the more I'm like maybe it's going to be more like 25 to be honest um I think it's important to not feel rushed to get to the stage again you get you get to the stage when the when the fire is relit and you kind of have that sense of readiness 
Mm. And whether that comes next year or the year after or the year after, the stage is always going to be there for you. And so I can definitely, I can definitely resonate with that one. Thank you. Yeah. I think I can, I'm glad we feel the same way in essence. Like you're not oh, writing anybody else down. So heartfelt today. Page, essentially. Yeah, it is a heart, heartfelt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Podcast. Really wearing the hearts on the sleeves today. I love it. We need to say something mean now to each other. Sorry, <laughs> right, I'm about to get to it. <laughs> How's your week been, mate? How's things on your NDY? It's been good, but I want to. I think what's happened here is we've seen Lawrence's new and updated physique shots, and Jack's been intimidated. He's decided that he's going to have to prolong it and push it back another season. Yeah, and then not only fun. that, Jack has now said that he's going to maybe do 24. So now DC's thinking about pushing it back to 25. Like, I don't know what <laughs> we're doing here, but, you know, I don't think it's on. I think, and the, I think we need that little bit of competition in there. But, nah, all jokes aside, I think it's uh, good. Obviously, you guys have made some serious progress. So doing a prep for 30, 30 40 weeks is obviously going to take a lot more progress out of the uh, books that you could write. So, I'm excited to see it regardless of what years he's compete. But for me personally, uh, it's been going really good. This week's been perfect. I actually had a really good week of PBs. It was scheduled to be a deload this week. I was actually going to push back the deload just because of how well last week went. But uh, I woke up on like pretty much like the day before or the day of as well, um, the day one of my program. And I was feeling like I was having like a little bit of a cold slash rundown. I figured if I was to train at the intensity of what I was probably going to be pushing for these uh, workouts this week, I could run myself into the ground. Um, or if not, I might be pushing a whole week with sub par training because of that cold coming on so i did decide to take the deload this week just because i was feeling a little bit unwell i didn't want to make it worse and i didn't want to have an average week of training especially just after following up after a really good week of training but other than that everything went really well taking the deload this week and then uh, i might make some alterations to the program next week make some changes add in some new moves that have been a little bit stagnant and then we uh, go from there for the uh, second program of the uh, off season well, sounds like it's gone swimmingly, sir. And obviously, you're not far off from having the busyness scale turned up to 11, just coming into the first shows of season B. And whenever I look at your story, it just seems like it's constant tags from competitors. So if you don't mind disclosing the actual number, how many are you taking into this season? This season's probably got around about, I can't remember exactly, maybe around seven, eight. So it's quite a hefty season. It's probably going to be the biggest season that I've had personally. That being said, I don't really want to exceed 10 clients per, per season. I feel like it gets quite out of hand. I like to have a good work-life balance. Like I don't want it to be so insane where I can't enjoy myself, can't go into train because everyone's asking me questions, want me to look at, my, look at their posing and so on like that. But normally around eight to 10, I've got eight this season. The uh, other boys, Jack, DC, what do you think about that being online coaches and prep coaches yourself? What would be the max number that you guys think you'd be willing to take into a season? I don't know, to be honest. I don't know if you would, uh, I guess you would, the, the, the process of growth would be, obviously you would start small and you would gradually build your numbers over time. And you'll probably be able to establish pretty quickly where you're starting to, to cut short on, on, on the quality in which you can provide within, within those um, for those competitors. Cause I definitely think it's, it's a matter of you, there's so much to juggle backstage and you have to be obviously very um, 
very planned with like a, a schedule, a timesheet. You have to make sure that all your athletes are, are very prepared. They know what they're doing. So I'm not entirely sure what what would be the number of which I could um, I could attend to. But uh, what about you, Jack? It's kind of hard to put a number against it, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's. I think the unique thing about DY is like a lot of your clients are based in Brisbane who are competing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Nearly, yeah so. nearly I'll probably say about 80%. Mm. So, I mean, that's a lot of people to attend to in one show compared to like potentially some being on staggered weekends like in Victoria or Perth or even overseas. So I think that that's a variable that potentially influences things. But for myself, like what DC said, essentially, like I'll... I mean, I, I have never had seven, eight people competing in one season yet. So I don't doubt that it will come in the future, but we'll see how I feel. You can ask me again when we reach that point. I think the key is that, yes, look, it's a lot of work, but if you give everyone the same diet and you write everyone the same training program, then, you know, you could have 80 competitors in a season. I think that's where the key is. That's where the money's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also the same exact same, same peak week same protocol as well. Every, yeah. <laughs> it, it, i think it gets hard but you just got to be very prepared especially as coaches like i remember when i would go into the actual show day i'd pretty much have a piece of paper or like in my notes on my phone of every single division that a client was entering and then that way you stay on top of it because otherwise if you don't go in with like a timesheet or anything like that it's just all over the shop you're like wait are you on stage are you on stage right now uh, you definitely got to get pre more prepared as you go probably past like three clients because <laughs> you don't want any room for error. You don't want anyone missing their divisions. Mm. Yeah, the tough thing as well is obviously the time changes on the day. So depending on if it's the, the men's or the women's women's uh, categories, I mean, the women's can go way, way longer than the men's, right? Particularly the Sunday for uh, ICM Queensland's last year, season B, I think we finished up at something like 11 o'clock. And obviously the, the timesheet itself doesn't go to 11. It finishes at like seven. So it's running three or so hours, hours late. So yeah, it's really important to be planned, have your timesheets. And, uh, and obviously each athlete has their own, you know, I guess schedule that they work off. And then as the coach, you've kind of got that master schedule that you can adapt and change depending on what's going on in the day. Mm -hmm. And how are things with you, Lawrence? How's the mini cut? Yeah, really good, mate. I'm not far off finishing up now. There haven't been any more changes to the macros or anything like that. So I'm still on 400 carb, 250 protein and 55 fat this week. And I think this morning I was 91.3 upon wake before a meal. So I'm pretty happy with how things are looking, to be honest. I think the midsection is looking pretty sharp. Definitely a lot more shape coming through in some of the side shots now, which we love to see. And all in all, it's really been a piece of cake, like you said, mate. And as it should be, it's not designed to be like a contest prep. You shouldn't feel like you're hauling ass to get out of bed. You shouldn't be suffering too much in your training. And yeah, I've still continued to have pretty good training performance. Um, like DY, I've hit some nice PBs over the last week or so. And yeah, I am looking forward to wrapping it up just so that we can now get into a productive phase again, where we're actually trying to add a little bit more tissue because realistically we are probably getting into that phase where it is the last push before we actually begin prep and then consolidate a little bit of a gain-taining phase before we actually knuckle down into the deficit. So I'm really excited to get this next week and a half finished up, wrapped up, and then we can start to plan for what the rest of the year is going to look like and where eventually we're going to start the prep at. Mm. And like based on what sort of Joey feedback 
uh, he's given you as well? Like, is there any sort of talk about like what your new stage weight might be for the next season? Yeah, that is always the million dollar question, hey, because I guess we love to think that we've grabbed two or three kilos of lean mass along the way. But time and time again, you'll get on stage at the same body weight, but you'll still look better. In my eyes, in 2020, my most sucked down, depleted weight, I think the absolute low of the contest prep was about 77. And I would like that weight to not be in the 70s if I can. You know, I would love to not see a seven in front of my body weight the next time I compete. Whether that happens, you know, maybe I just stuck into the 79s, who knows. But I really realistically think that we could be standing on stage carved up at sort of that 82, 83, somewhere around that. Given that I'm about 91 now, I guess 10 kilos off this current condition, I think would be in very, very good condition. So, you know, maybe if we suck down to around 80, carb up a little bit, I don't think that's unreasonable for the stage weight. But to be honest, you know, that's just me speculating. I'm not entirely sure what Joey thinks of that. We haven't spoken about that variable specifically. But yeah, I guess you hope that when you take a full two calendar years of gaining, you can at least pick up a couple kilos of tissue along the way. You'd hope for natural bodybuilding. Yeah. Gives us hope for each season. (laughs) I yeah, say exactly. you push it back to 2024, Lawrence, and you come in at 80. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. We're just going to keep pushing it back. And then, you know, maybe I will compete in the Masters because that will be the we'll, only we'll time all be in the Masters. With Jack. So uh, what's next on the agenda for today's episode? So today, boys, I actually had a question that's been swirling around my own head for a while that I wanted to run past you guys. And it's all about this sort of idea bodybuilding training are we getting a little bit too in the weeds with it is it becoming a little bit too complicated because i'm sure you guys follow people like mike Isratel, coach Cassim, these guys who think about certain variables of training on a really high level and particularly when i watch some of their stuff probably specifically coach Cassim, i i really respect the level of expertise he has with biomechanics and all that sort of thing and I really think it's great that he's trying to distill down training for hypertrophy to an exact science. And I think it's cool some of the stuff he does, but I at times just question its real world application for even advanced bodybuilders. You know, I think some of the techniques that he preaches are extremely specific. And I guess from my point of view, I just wonder, is that level of specificity warranted? Like, is that really moving the needle or is it actually maybe impairing some people from actually just training hard. And I think we could probably all agree that effort is really going to be the crux of most people's progress. You don't need to do everything perfectly, but the people who just try really hard for a long period of time tend to come up with some good results. So I guess I'll pass it over to DC to make the first comment on that one. Yeah, I think, I think in ways we do tend to overcomplicate things, but that being said, oversimplification can often be, you know, just as um, just as difficult to interpret in terms of the full story. Um, I think that there's definitely a case of um, paralysis through analysis. So, you know, you essentially overanalyze a concept too much, or you analyze and overanalyze concepts within bodybuilding or nutrition, and it sort of leaves you in the dark as to, okay, what, what do I actually do then? So the the, the science behind training and, and the science behind nutrition yes to a degree it's 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 complicated but i think it's it's application is is not so uh so yeah i, I think it, it and it depends on obviously who you talk to as well as to 
you know, whether they're someone who gets into the nitty gritty of, of a science-based approach or someone who is, is more sort of in that anecdotal sense. And I think we can kind of learn from both, camp, both camps really. Um, I think that science is a little bit more mainstream now. So, so people tend to, uh, I guess, try to interpret literature and interpret science more so. And, and within that, it can become a little bit convoluted. But um, I, I think it's for a good cause. You know, we're, we're, we're essentially curious and that curiosity is what going to want us to, um, or we're going to want to find answers to questions that we've had, you know, ways in which people have trained in the past, back in the golden era, certain strategies that they adopted. And we want to know why these, these seem to have worked for these people. And, uh, and so it creates, creates that, that study, you know, um, but I think it's, like I said, I think it's for a good cause. I think if you want to, you know, look at someone like Coach Kasim and learn the intricacies of biomechanics around certain movements, then you've got the means to. If that's too overly complicated for you and you just want to get into the gym and you want to train damn hard and, you know, not pull in a, a certain load in a certain direction in which it, you know, it provides a great, greater stimulus to the iliac aspect of the lats, like, you know, you, then you then you don't need to. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of like my my take on it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it is definitely trendy. And I think that definitely uh, stimulates some of those people in the industry. But at the same time, we're also furthering our knowledge in the area of bodybuilding, which compared to other sports, like let's say marathon runners or soccer players or a 100-meter um, sprinter, there's not as much research into bodybuilding compared to other sports. And the way I kind of look at it is as that like pyramid hierarchy where I think the stuff that Coach Kasim does and even some of the stuff that Mike Isratel delves into is kind of like right at the top of that pyramid, which it doesn't really, especially if you're thinking about someone with pretty average genetics, like it's not really going to influence them. If, if they were suddenly able to get better genetics, like that would dictate their gains so much more than, than an iliac pull down. And I've never seen someone grow a new set of lats either from switching to the iliac pull down either. And that's just one example to be fair, but I, I think hard work and to a degree having a well-rounded pr program and above all of that, which I'll be interested if you guys agree with, like above all that genetics, like genetics is ultimately going to dictate how far you go in bodybuilding. I agree. Yeah. I pretty much agree with it. Yeah. Pretty much the exact same as the, these like the thing with Kasim and like Mike, Dr. Mike is they're looking at the very, very, pinnacle like you like you know we're talking about swapping a one-armed lat pull down to now just implementing a bench like obviously there's other like fine details around it but like you know like what's the difference from doing a single arm lat pull down to now doing this iliac version that's a lot more complicated especially for like a beginner lifter like how many people are going to get so much more out of that iliac lat pull down then, you know, you might get out of a lap pool. Obviously, it's isolating certain parts and it may have merit in a pro training program, but is it really going to make that big of a difference? Now, it could make that tiny 1%, but doing the basic things right is what's going to net you a very large majority of your progress in the beginning anyway. But I think it is quite complicated, but 
especially for like a novice person coming into the sport or the industry. They like see like all these guys like Dr. Mike and all that. Um, and even Kasim where they're like, Kasim had the debate with him about like how to take deloads and, you know, like, you know, all these finite little de details that you can now add into a deload to make it maybe even make more progress when Mike, you know, was just saying, well, why don't we just rest? There's so many like tiny little things that everyone's trying to refine, which won't really, I don't think make that big of a difference, but I think it is really interesting you know, diving into that and seeing what more you might be able to get out of your training. But to get you a large majority of your progress, you probably don't even need any of that. 90% of people pretty much just need to learn the basics, learn how to train hard with good form, logging their lifts and, you know, tracking their food, eating in a calorie surplus when they're trying to put on muscle. And then, you know, obviously eating in a calorie deficit when they're trying to lose that uh, fat mass. So prioritizing the lowest hanging fruit, like you said you know when it comes yeah. to the pyramid the training and nutrition pyramid and eric's helms training and nutrition pyramid is fantastic for that because it's like hey these are the things that we should prioritize and then it's like a layer okay we can layer this on top you know then we can layer this on top okay we've, but if we lose sight of what's at the base we it the the pyramid crumbles so it's like the whole the whole premise in terms of like if my goal is is fat loss weight loss and I'm prioritizing the exact macronutrient ratio of my protein, carbs, and fats, but I'm not actually in a calorie deficit, <laughs> then I'm not going to lose weight. So, you know, or, or, or prioritizing nutrient timing or, you know, pre-workout carbs or something like that. My goal is still weight loss and I'm not in a calorie deficit. So yeah, th things like that. Overcomplicating, again, paralysis through analysis. It's yeah. like one of those, uh, sorry, Lawrence, you can go <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the biggest thing with that as well is like what you mentioned, DY, where it, it really muddies the waters for the beginners, especially. Like I see these like young kids in my gym even who are attaching the D handle to one of the pull downs and, and trying to do that sort of like iliac lap pull down that Coach K has really made quite popular at the moment. And I just think, you know, just stick to the basics, get strong with your barbell and dumbbell movements, get strong with the quote unquote stuff that you start with and then get into a little bit of that stuff. Like you see Nick Walker doing a sideways hack squat and he's like, this will build the outer head of the quad. Like, and then you're going to have all these kids jumping on the hack squat and doing it on the side with one leg at a time. And I'm just like, yeah, that, that's not what he used to build legs like that. That is not going to be the bread and butter for someone who has a physique like that. And I just think that sometimes people will see that and think, oh, well, that must be the trick. That must be the secret to build that sort of physique. But no, this is really just little things that people are throwing on top afterwards. And that's garbage. I mean, I'm sorry. I've got time for the iliac lap pull down, but just do your hack squats normally, people. I mean, I, I personally I actually like the iliac pull down. I have it in my program. I like it. No, I definitely like it. But I just think that, you know, I like it because it's a nice lat pull down variation, but are you really getting that much more by pulling it at the specific angle of shoulder flexion and rounding the rib cage in order to fully contract the lat? I just don't know how much that's actually moving the needle. And I feel like at that point, we're starting to miss the forest for the trees. 
I remember actually hearing Kasim talk about it. He said like, there's actually such a large majority of the people that actually use it are doing it wrong. They're like using it as like an Instagram or exercise. Like, you know, this is the flavor of the month and they're actually performing it incorrectly. And it's not even doing what it's designed to do. It's like, you might as well just be doing a single arm lap pull down at that point. So it's like, you know, a lot of these things aren't even being used like how they're meant to be used. I think, you know, like DC said, there's that base, like, you know, you got to have your training, you got to have your nutrition down packed and like, you know, maybe then like exercise selection and, you know, making sure you're progressing. Like the last thing on that pyramid is finding that you need to now swap your single arm lat pull down for a single arm iliac lat pull down. Or now you need to be doing these deloads slightly different instead of just decreasing 25% load, 30% load. Now you got to like, you know, do all this other fancy stuff in between to then, you know, maximize the gains you're going to get even while you're in the deload while you're still trying to deload at the same time so like it's very interesting to see where it's going and that guys like these are actually pushing the limits to see like like maybe they might do a study and it might be groundbreaking like you know something that we've not been doing before that can maximize the uh you know the progress that we're making but realistically right now like will swapping the single arm iliac lap pull down into your program make anywhere near the progress of maybe a barbell back squat or something like that i highly doubt it all right boys we might move into a couple q a questions that we got from the listeners if you're all happy the first one that we'll cover i thought was a fantastic question and the question asker says does lifting heavier always mean you've gained muscle or just got better at said exercise assuming all other variables have been kept the same so really great question i think we'll switch it over to dc to answer this one first i mean if all other variables are kept the same like i remember back at university learning about sort of the timeline of neuromuscular adaptations within more like a beginner to advanced based um, athlete and we tend to have more neurological based adaptations through like the immediate moments of, of like becoming untrained, moving into being more of a novice type lifter. And then majority as, as more of an advanced based lifter tend to be more centered around uh, muscular type, type adapt- adaptations. I think one of the main thing is, is like how complex is the movement as well. So, you know, um, how efficient are we at that performing that movement? How much are you varying your exercise selection as well? So, it's, it's kind of hard to attribute whether it's just just an improvement in in uh, in muscle mass, considering that from session to session, you may be a little bit more ready. Uh, your mental readiness might have improved or something like that in terms of uh, your, your your execution of it. Um, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where there's there's too many uh, influencing factors, I'd say. What do you boys reckon? Yeah, if I had to give an answer, I would probably say that the the amount of muscle you would gain would be fairly insignificant especially in the more i'm not even sure of the time frame here but especially in the moderate to long term the amount of muscle gain if you're saying the same body weight would be fairly insignificant again it would depend on the level of the athlete like their training age um and also the particular movement of course as well like are you getting drastically stronger at a bicep curl because you're putting on a kilo of muscle on your biceps probably not. It's probably going to be more so either being able to train a little bit harder at that movement and your perception of effort may be coming down slightly or potentially getting more skilled at the movement itself. So yeah, it's a very multifaceted question. 
Well, I actually just swapped my bench press to a powerlifting bench press. Now I can do 40 kilos more. So I'm impressed, but unfortunately I made no mass. At least yeah. five kilos of muscle then, man. Sure. Exactly. It, if all the variables are staying the same, that's like, like what Jack said as well. Now you take into consideration nutrition and body weight staying the same. Like the progression is probably not going to come that easily if you're not sitting in a surplus. Now, if you're sitting in a surplus and over the entire year, your form stayed the same and your bench press has gone up 20 kilos over the entirety of the year, there's a high chance there's probably going to be a decent amount of muscle mass added there. Now, if you're staying the exact same body weight the entire year, maybe proteins adequate, like same body composition, like chances are you probably really haven't put on that much. But now if you're doing everything right and you're making progression across multiple little lifts and all the form is standardized, then there is a high chance that you've actually put on a decent amount of muscle. It's like through the immediate moments of starting a contest prep, like I'll find in the first even five to 10 weeks, some of my lifts will actually go up, which is quite interesting, right? Because the likeliness of me increasing muscle tissue within a, within a deficit is pretty low. So perhaps, I don't know, I've, I've flicked a switch in my, in my, my brain where I'm like, man, I've got to, now I'm in a contest prep now. I've got to push even harder. You know, so my mental readiness is, is much, much higher. Perhaps I'm prioritizing other variables. Like I'm trying to improve my sleep throughout this time as well. Perhaps I'm a little bit more uh, conscious of nutrient timing, meal timing, and things like that as well. So there's, I guess there's so many things that could influence the answer to this, but you would hope it's an increase in muscle mass. <laughs> What about you, Lawrence? Yeah, to be honest, lads, I think you've all covered that beautifully. And I think I was just going to pretty much echo what DC finished with. It all comes down to hope, really. And it's as naturals, the biggest catalyst for us actually putting on tissue is the logbook moving up. And I just think certain lifts, I think for we have to zoom out in order to consider, okay, has that actually put muscle on your frame? I think I would say it's pretty hard to argue that if you were doing 80 kilos on an incline barbell press if two years down the line that's now 110 kilos there's a reasonable chance that you're going to have a bigger chest assuming that your form has been standardized assuming you're in a calorie surplus so yes there's all these caveats but like dc said you know it all comes down to hope and uh we're all just resting on that as natty boys so i think we just have to trust the logbook trust that you're eating enough trust that your execution is good if the, all those things are in place then yes, I think there's a reasonable chance that as you get stronger, you're at least doing enough to stimulate some muscle growth. This is probably like an advocate for why you shouldn't change up your exercise selection like super often because if all you're doing within, you know, program to program, which let's say is only two weeks, you're constantly changing your exercise selection. Well, really you're just trying to become, you're, or initially you're just becoming more neurologically efficient at executing the movement and, uh, and perhaps those muscular adaptations are actually not being, being produced because you're actually not able to direct the mechanical tension to the target tissue because you're simply trying to stabilize the weight or stabilize the movement or perhaps you're just not confident enough in the exercise to actually push push it as much as you need to so yeah i think um the answer is within the question almost it's like if everything is controlled for so it's like you know if you keep your exercise selection relatively consistent you try and make the most amount of progress within these movements and not just change things for change sake then perhaps your likeliness of, of improving lean tissue is, is potentially greater. I think there's quite a few studies that show that uh, programs in which the exercise selection is constantly changed does not seem to yield the, uh, the, mm. the, the better or quote unquote more optimal results. I don't really like the word or more optimal, but um, yeah, be better results in the long term. Yeah, definitely. 
I'm happy to go to the next question if you guys ask. So this one asks, what is something that you did not do in your last contest prep that you plan on doing next time you get into a prep? So Jack, why don't you start us off? Potentially, I think last time I've always been a proponent of like food volumization. And I think that's a good way of, in some circumstances, mitigating appetite throughout a contest prep. It definitely does reach a point, as we all know, where you can eat as much food as you want and you won't be satiated. And that has more so to do with like body fat levels once you reach that certain point. But I probably in previous contest preps, I've gone a little bit too far with food volume to the extent of like eating like about a kilo of vegetables, for example, in the evening. And while that's not the end of the world, and I felt good while doing it. My fiber was probably close to 200 grams a day. And there's a lot of variables there that need to be considered in terms of, okay, at that point, like what is my nutrient absorption with that much fiber? And like, how is that fiber being metabolized? Like what is, what is actually like the tr true caloric intake that I'm consuming? Because in Australia, like we keep fiber and carbohydrates separate in terms of the caloric value and or in terms of tracking them on my fitness power for most things so short answer is for me i would want to kind of lower that a little bit in terms of the amount of plant matter i consume trying to uh dial it down a little bit on the volume and i think that'll correlate favorably to my physique as well especially in peak week as well and i, I know i know for certain that aj is not going to let me eat kilos of, of vegetables each day is that why there was a shortage of toilet paper God damn. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it be the other way did Jack, you go to Jack. the bathroom like once a month at that point? No, it was, if you want the dirty details, like my digestion, I've always consumed a lot of fiber and I was very, very efficient at digesting it. I will always go once a day, um, if not twice a day. So there you have it. Jack would have been shitting literal trees at that point. <laughs> like I remember I used to have G like in my second prep, I would have a large amount of spud light and like veggies because I was doing the same thing. I was making my meals more volumeful. Um, and my digestion definitely took a hit. Like I was bloated a lot more than my recent prep. Mm. So I couldn't imagine 200 grams. Like I was peaking at like 70, 80 grams of fiber. I was like, holy God. The thing is I, I did that throughout my whole off season like i a lot of my carb intake at the time was like whole grains vegetables so quite naturally fiber was 150 to 200 grams every day not anymore fortunately yeah because i remember one of your first check-ins i think it was maybe with aj i remember you did an update on it i think in the off season you were like eating 70 or 80 grams of fiber which i was like cool that's mm -hmm. actually quite a decent amount for an off season i remember i think he even dropped it down for you i think he said to go even lower which was you know i was like cool 70 to 80 already <laughs> yeah it was it was very high now it's around like 50 60 which is is super low for me and i feel very normal after each meal, but I'll start waffling on. Um, who else wants to chat? It's a little bit hard with me because I feel like I did a very large majority of the things right last prep. I don't really think that anything prep wise I might have been able to fix, but I just think personally, like relationship wise, as everyone probably knows here, and as you go through a prep, it kind of takes the back burner. Um, you're sitting there, you're eating, you're sleeping, you're training, and nothing really gets in the road of that. So I think maybe focusing a little bit more like on relationship wise, like, you know, obviously when you're in a prep, uh, your partner suffers trying to make them suffer a little less 
Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things. It's just like a constant work in progress, to be honest. Like if I look back at my three preps, it's, I hope, gotten a little bit better each time. Gemma listens to this, so I guess she'll be able to tell us whether or not that's the truth. But in my eyes, I guess I've tried to just be a little bit better each time. I guess being that my girlfriend is not involved in our world as closely as your partners, I guess it is a bit harder in that sense. But I think that would probably be mine as well, DY. Like I thought that our last prep was pretty much spot on in terms of all the X's and O's from a training and nutrition perspective. I thought the peaks all went really well. I thought our choice of expenditure won't be changing, but I think, you know, just trying once again to be a little bit better at not letting the people around me be affected by my prep would probably be something I'm working at for the rest of my bodybuilding career, but just trying to improve that a little bit each time. I'd agree. What about you, DC? Yeah. So I, I feel like my prep went pretty smoothly in regards to like its variables and there's nothing really that I did that was off the cuff or or bizarre that I wouldn't go, Hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do that again. Probably one thing that I would have liked to have done a little bit earlier, however, is to to start journaling. So I started journaling towards like the back end of my prep, probably like sub eight weeks, seven weeks or something like that. And I found that to be really helpful just to help me create better mindfulness in terms of how I was feeling, um, you know, the, the dark depths of prep in terms of just like just the low energy availability, how tired you are constantly, like you have to kind of remind yourself constantly as to like, okay, this is a decision that I've made. Like I'm safe. It's okay. There's going to be food at the end of this contest prep period. Um, You know, I'm not dying. (laughs) Uh, But a big thing as well was to sort of combine my journaling into actually writing down my training as like a training log. And I just found that to be really uh, helpful because I, I'm very much someone who goes into a session and I'm like, okay, I lifted this last week for this many reps. I'm going to try and beat it next week. And I found that, and probably similar to you guys, your, your strength definitely drops through the, the course of a contest prep. And if you're someone who's super tied to your numbers, it can be pretty damn um, confidence. Like, you know, can really affect your confidence when you start seeing those numbers decreasing because that that fear of, oh my God, I'm actually losing tissue now. I'm getting, getting weaker, you know, starts to set in. So I found that when I journaled and also when I wrote my training down in like a notebook, it helped me more to be, I guess, mindful in the session that I was in and to perform the numbers that I could on the day, as opposed to what I, what I did last week. Like I might have a brief look at it, but I find when I was tracking it either through an app or, or like Google sheets or something like that, it was, um, I was very tied to the numbers, which I think you can be in the off season because you're making progress like week in, week out or most weeks. But, you know, in a contest prep, it's a, it's a little bit different. So I wish I'd probably started that sooner. A little question with that. Is there anything that you would have changed looking back now to maybe optimize your performance in the contest prep? I remember last week we talked, me and Lawrence take pre uh, intra workout and we found it quite advantageous, um, like in the actual depths of prep. Would, did you in, implement like intra workout or is there anything that you would have uh, done differently? Yeah, so it's it's that it's that real trade-off between managing the onset of hunger and and the, the debilitation of hunger, and also trying to optimize you know one's nutrition in and around their training. And often these things don't don't align very well. You know, if you really want to get the most out of your training in terms of you know carbohydrates, then let's say consume one gram per kilo of body weight. You know, pre-training would be would be fantastic to do, but 
if your carbs are at 120 grams, 130 grams or sub that for some competitors, man, you don't want to spare those extra carbs for, for some Gatorade, you know, or Gatorade powder or, or some uh, lollies, you know, pre-training, you want to eat a kilo of potato <laughs> to try and somewhat alleviate your accumulation of hunger. So yes, you know, I probably could have been a little bit more strategic with my nutrition around timing my carbs pre-training, you know, et cetera. But don't, don't get me wrong. I was thinking about those things, but I was also like, man, like if I, it's going to be more debilitating if I go into this workout and I'm just damn hungry. And that's all I can think about. Like I'm going to be so distracted for my session. So, you know, what's, what's optimal on paper may not be optimal for the situation. So yeah, I don't know if I would, I would change that looking back because I felt like I handled it the best, the best way I could at the time. You know how much lettuce you can get with like a Gatorade? Uh, that's a lot of lettuce money. <laughs> 30 grams yeah, of carbs yeah. worth of lettuce. That's well, right now, lettuce quite expensive over here in Australia. But like, you know, you're, you're looking at some serious lettuce cloves. To be fair, you probably couldn't afford it now. So. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one will be a quick fire, lads. This one will be nice and easy. Top three bodybuilding slash fitness podcasts other than our own. Jack, could you first maybe give us a very unbiased opinion? Sure. So other than our own, in no particular order, I would have to go Not In The Game, uh, which is a UK-based podcast. And I like that one. It's similar to our own. And second and third, it's interesting because I don't listen to podcasts as much these days for the informative nature of them. I more so listen to it for uh, entertainment and, and the bodybuilding sort of scene. So probably Revive Stronger, particularly uh, his improvement season variation of it uh, rather than the guests. And number three, you guys might have to come back to me. If I, off the top of my head, probably Iron Culture with Eric Helms, which is a bit more uh, education on that one. But I do like the uh, dynamic for him between Eric and Omar on that. I guess I'll uh, edit off. I'm the I'm a bit different to Jack. I actually listened to it only for the educational side of it, um, and they are I've got them written down here: Iron Culture, 3DMJ, and Revive uh, Revive Stronger. They're just the best three in my opinion, and they're pretty much probably the only three apart from obviously YouTube Boys included in there. <laughs> you just Promise. read my notebook because that's literally what I've got. I've got. Oh really? yeah, yeah. yeah Team 3DMJ, Iron Culture, and, and Revive are probably the three that I. I've listened to the most, particularly Team 3DMJ. I just think because they've been in the game for so damn long, you know, the amount of coaching experience that they've got, if it was added up combined, you know, for all of them, it would be like a decade. So yeah, they um, give some really good messages. They're just very real. And I like the, the differences in their personalities as well. You know, Eric's a little bit more of a science guy, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's, um, yeah, I really like theirs. Iron Culture is fantastic because it's sometimes a little bit more of a, a lighthearted listen as well um, in terms of like their terminology and, the, and the, the throw back and forth between the two of them. And Revive Stronger, Steve Hall, I just think gives off some really good messages and um, you know really good nuggets of information as well. So yeah, I would, I would go with those three. Yeah, would agree, guys. I love all of those ones. I, I will say I did listen a lot to Fuad's podcast, the real bodybuilding podcast, but I have found that that's gotten a little bit tiresome of late. You know, some of the stuff that they say, and obviously we're, our goal is not to get political on this show, but just some of the 
terminology that they use to describe certain members of the public, I find quite uh, doesn't really sit well with me at times. And, you know, you have to listen to them talk about stuff that I guess, as we in the evidence-based realm know is just not quite correct. So some of that annoys me a little bit, but yeah, it's fun. It's it's a lighthearted listen. It's nothing too serious, but I do find that's probably gotten a bit old, but Revive Stronger, Iron Culture, Nothing to Game, those are probably my favorites at the moment. But, you know, realistically, you're not going to waste your time listening to that when you could listen to General Muscle Podcast or this, or there's that other the one that there's that girl and the guy that run it. I can't quite recall the name now, but anyway, the big dietitians, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You hear, heard it here. Lawrence is saying that we are the real bodybuilding podcast as of now. We are. We're coming for all the smoke guys. You heard it here first. I mean, if I could list our natural bodybuilding worldwide on, on that podcast spectrum, I would, but I mean, who knows? They might venture into the podcast space soon enough. That is true. Yep. No, they, I guess it's not a podcast, but some great content on there. Did watch uh, new Kiwi's new push video. And you know what? It comes back to that same thing about not necessarily overcomplicating training too much because mm. obviously you got to mention that with a pinch of salt with someone like Kiwi because he is a genetic freak in certain aspects. But, you know, it's, it is also effort over a long period of time, training hard, training heavy, and man, just looking ridiculous at the moment to be honest and it's quite interesting the way he's gone about his prep because he looks like he's tried to get quite lean early on mm. and then really slow down well, I, guess, I don't think it's up lots leading in i don't think it's up to, like he's he's being coached by someone so like I, I i'm not even sure if it's like a intentional decision by him or whether it's his coach doing the planning Okay, because on the recent video, he sort of made it sound like this was the plan, you know, get mm. lean early so that then he's able to keep food high in order to drive training performance. He does yeah. seem like someone who is very adamant on trying to maintain a high performance, keep as much strength and prep as possible. So for him, mm. I guess psychologically, that would probably be pretty handy as well. Yeah, I saw his recent pull of, I think it was 260 for five on, on the deadlift, which is not bad for being what is it he's he's still in double digits isn't he he's yeah i think he's still like in the teens for weeks out to be honest mm. yeah oh it's an all right pull you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean you could no, probably rdl that yeah i wish i wish with enough runny common in the air anything's possible <laughs> <laughs> so we've got another question which asks would we rather give up pushing or pulling movements and i'll answer this because it's short and sweet my back sucks, so I'm going to keep the pulls. I mean, that's the same for me as well. I think I definitely need pulling, plus RDLs are pull, so I'm not giving up RDLs quite yet. I think I've got to keep the mirror muscles, so I'm going to go push. <laughs> and I'd go probably go pull as well, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Nice, easy ones. In terms of, there were a few questions that were like asking about our favorite bodybuilders as well, which is kind of hard in the natty scene sometimes because it's not like there's tons of exposure and you have to be somewhat of a nerd going into the depths of social media and, and forums and stuff to really have a few favorites but without getting on the pepper grinder too much like aj morris would definitely be out there for me like he's probably my favorite natty bodybuilder i really like birdo nunez as well from 3dmj and i guess if we're thinking about just crazy physiques like ben howard would be up there Avakar Niang would be up there as well. What about the guy we, we've mentioned most on the podcast? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, of course. Keefe is there. Keefe knows the love. Busted. But, um, yeah. Well, so for I every think those, episode that he listens to. We did miss him on the last one, I think. I think we did. We lost our Keefe streak, which is very unfortunate, but such is life, you know. Mm. He'll be very upset when he listens to this. What about you, DC? You're a bit of student of the game. Do you have any favorites? Um, there used to be a guy named Jim Cordova. He had a pretty insane mm. physique. I believe he competed at WNBF. Uh, worlds like way way back there's a youtube video of him hitting some posing a routine and he just looks insane um philip ricardo jr as well i think he has a a phenomenal physique and he's been in the game for for a long time as well um yeah there were some guys back in the day like kiyoshi moody i don't know if you guys remember remember him but he's in inba and yeah he he looks like a a phil heath a smaller version of phil heath (laughs) he's got a pretty insane physique um, you seen that guy, um, Meshach Osheng? Yeah, 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 yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was absurd. Like, I think he's yeah. very short, but bro, those muscle bellies are just an absolute joke. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, yeah, so they, they would probably be guys that I can think of from sort of back back before our time, I guess. But yeah, what about you, DY? Um. My three favorites, probably Brian Whitaker, Doug Miller. You could probably have Babaka in there as well. Yeah. Or another one from Australia, obviously, you got uh, BK. Very impressive, extremely conditioned, and uh, obviously won a world title. So he's doing something right. Mm. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I think all the guys that you mentioned are, are brilliant. And I think I, I often draw inspiration more so from people who I can resonate with a bit better. So like AJ is definitely on that list, especially uh, with him being my coach. Um, also uh, Damo Forrest, because uh, we train at the same gym. I see him all the time. Um, learned a lot from him over the past year, um, especially in relation to my RDLs. He's helped me out a lot. And probably third would be BK as well, especially like being able to see him uh, at uh, the ICN Nationals in 2019, like when that uh, national show there was, was brilliant. It's good that you actually know someone. You go, DY. It's it's good to actually see someone from Australia. Like, like personally, I've actually seen BK compete over in the US and in Australia, where a lot of these guys that are super impressive, like, I don't know personally, and I haven't seen personally, like, stuff like Doug Miller. You see the photos, and you're, like, super impressed. But BK is just one of them guys that I've actually seen in person multiple times, and he's Mm. a freaky man. I mean, even back in the day with Nathan Wallace, like, Nathan Wallace had an incredible physique. Um, when I when I was more sort of up and coming in terms of you know starting training and probably a couple of years into my my training career, um, Nathan Wallace was was the man to talk about because he was heading over to the the, the natural Olympia things like that. I think he actually won the amateur lineup, um, I believe. So yeah, mate, he he had an incredible physique back in the day. I still think he does, to be honest. I think he was prepping not too long ago actually, and then and then sort of. Comscot cans. I think he was prepping the same season that I competed in, season B last year. So, um, I mean, with states shut down to travel, I think he was in New South Wales and he was planning on coming to Queensland to compete. So it was, um, yeah, it's challenging. But mate, Nathan Wallace back in the day had an insane physique. Mike O'Hearn as well. <laughs> Trent O'Hearn. Do you um speaking of the hold your own boys DC? Do any of you guys remember a a bloke by the name of Zach Poulos? Yes, mate, relays on him, and he just like fell off the face of the earth. I haven't seen anything from him in a long time. Mm. Actually, 
I asked a close friend of his and I believe he uh, has a kid now and he's pretty much like a full-time dad stepped away from the bodybuilding scene altogether. So fair enough. Yeah, you just come in, kill the stage, and then you're like, oh, I'm yeah. done. Like it's people do that, man. It's just, you know, it's 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 sometimes it's not a sport that you want to do for like for the rest of your life. You you, you tick it off and maybe you come back to it at, at another stage. So yeah, man. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dark horses currently training that have either never competed or they're 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 wanting to compete and you know they'll they'll blow the blow the competition out. Yeah, it's a scary thought. There's probably so many people that are just, you know, no social media, no online presence. And those are the people that just rock up to the show and you're like, what the heck? You know, like Shane Little in 2018, like really no presence on Instagram, just rocked up out of nowhere, won everything as an amateur, won his pro card. And yeah, just, you know, shocked the world, really. There was also that Aussie guy as well that went over, he won the WMBF, uh, in America, he won the amateur and then won his pro card. Obviously, he was one of the Aussie boys. He competed competed against uh, Brandon Kempter as well. Doesn't have Instagram, doesn't have Facebook or anything. Just comes out with an extremely uh, impressive physique. I'll you figure out his name for the next body. All those body. people with top-tier genetics who don't even train. Like, mm. could walk past someone on the street and they can look at a weight and, and blow up. Yeah, like you see some of these guys who play um, real sports, like football and they're in, in the nfl and stuff and you just think you know a year of training for hypertrophy and you could happily stand on stages at the WMBF worlds um but i guess that's you know whether or not you think i know there's some people who think that everyone in the nfl or whatever is juicing but i'm not entirely convinced i just think we're seeing the one percent the true 0.5 percent of the genetic pool when you get into sports like that yeah especially with such a uh, much bigger population than ours, like the 1% over there is even more impressive than here. Um, and like even thinking about back to when we were in high school, there were always those kids in, in the high school gym that you saw and like they were bigger than you, they were stronger than you, they grew muscle faster. And then like one, once high school's finished, like you don't really see them anymore and they kind of drop off the face of the earth. But uh, that's what, I mean, I'm just interested in that sort of stuff about genetics, how rather than view it as unfair, I just choose to be impressed by it, I think. Yeah, I think that's the way to go about it. Hey, otherwise you just get too sad, really. (laughs) (laughs) I figured out that bodybuilder's name too, uh, Joel Romintis. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Extremely impressive physique. Shorter guy, hey. Shorter guy won the WMBF. world's amateur to them when he's pro card so he's one of the very few uh aussies that actually have wmbf pro card didn't he compete in icn and icn show? Yeah, didn't he do 2019 he did worlds against brandon and he came yeah. third i believe i think it was brandon damo and then joel was mm. third well yeah. yeah i think he did the sydney national show as well i think he yeah. came third there as well yeah i think it was the exact same outcome yeah i think damo top was fourth or fifth mm. But fellas, I think that's a, a wonderful discussion. We're probably coming up on the hour mark there. So I think we can probably leave it there for today's episode. Is there any closing thoughts or anything you boys wanted to mention before we sign off? No, I think that's good. it. No, just thanks everyone for the support so far. Yeah, it's Beautiful. been amazing. Just the, the feedback, um, people messaging to say, hey man, love the, love the podcast. So it's, it's really nice. Even being stopped at the gym sometimes, people come up and say, say some nice words so it's all super appreciative and uh yeah it's why it's why we're doing what we're doing 
also the large amount of questions as well. We're actually getting a, a very good amount of high quality questions coming through with the uh, Q&A each week. So if you want questions answered, when we throw it up on that Sunday evening, uh, just chuck in your questions and hopefully they'll get answered. Beautiful, guys. So once again, thank you. And just echoing those words, keep supporting the show. If you can take a screenshot of this one, post it up to your IG story. You can do the full shebang and tag all four of us. Or if you want to save a bit of time, you can just tag the podcast page, which is Bodybuilding Down Under on Instagram. And if you're feeling extra generous, make sure you head on to your podcast platform of choice and leave us a lovely five-star review as that helps us climb up the charts to get in as many sets of earphones and headphones as possible. So from Mr. Radford Smith, from Big Dan, from Little Dan, and from myself, we will bid you farewell and we'll see you next week.